Our scripture reading is from uh, Luke 2, verses 8 through 12, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This is the Word of God. Good afternoon. This afternoon, I won't be preaching. Uh, my name is Hangmin. If you're new, one of the pastors, we have one of our elders who will be actually giving us the word. But before we do that, as we've been doing uh, past five years in this season, uh, we celebrate the tradition of Advent. Um, church has been tr- celebrating this tradition for centuries. And today, we get to celebrate uh, the pink candle, the, the Joy Sunday. Everyone say joy. Y'all look miserable. Can we smile a little bit? Say joy. Um, Today is Joy Sunday. Uh, And Joy Sunday, just just like what we talked about last week when we were talking about peace, uh, that doesn't mean we ignore the broken reality of the world that we live in, broken reality of perhaps our, our own lives, the war not only in Ukraine, but all over us, is going on. We live in Korea, where the war, war is, is, is not over. We, reality of war all around us, the political unrest, not just maybe where you're from, but uh, in many, many parts of the world, the economical instability, uh, the gaps between the rich and the poor, just... CNN or, or whatever news you, you read will tell you the world is a broken place. And, and perhaps even personally, uh, as, we t- as we talk about joy, you've had a tough week, perhaps toughest week in all of 2022. Perhaps you are dealing with relational brokenness. I think Christmas season is, is it, 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 you know, the, the movies and, and the drama makes it such a wonderful time. But the reality is when we get together with family, it's not always so, so great. Um, some of you guys have experienced rejection this week. Maybe as you're winding this year down, there are unmet expectations. You thought you're going to find the person of, that you will spend the rest of your life with. Or perhaps you thought you would finally get that promotion or finally get, in, get into that house or whatever that may be for you. Um, if, if that's where you're coming from, I have a wonderful news. This is what Advent is all about. Paul says in Romans 8, 22, I won't be preaching. You won't be hearing two sermons, I promise. Romans 8, 22, he says the whole creation, not just Humanity, the creation itself has been groaning as we wait eagerly for redemption, which is really the heart of Advent, not only celebrating Jesus' initial coming, but also for him to return and restore all things back to the state of peace, shalom. So I'd like to borrow the words of Anglican priest named Harrison Warren, and she says this about Advent. I think it's beautiful, and it helps us to think about Advent. She says, and I quote, to practice Advent is lean into an almost cosmic ache 
our deep wordless desire for things to be made right and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. Friends, Advent invites us not only to celebrate, again, Jesus' first arrival. That's wonderful. Christmas is a wonderful story, and, and I'm sure Elder Charles did a wonderful job of showing us this wonderful reality of Jesus' first arrival. But again, we look forward to the final arrival. Every year we get to look forward to Jesus' return. Advent really is an opportunity for you and I to face our darkness, not ignore it, not draw it out, but really face our darkness in order to appreciate the light. Friends, we don't have to dull the pain of our suffering, but we can actually face up to our darkness, whatever that may be for you this week. So let me light the pink candle as a reminder for us that we can face our own darkness because light has indeed come. And friends, hear the words of Luke 2. Let me just remind you, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen. Here's Elder Charles. Thank you, Sangmin. Good afternoon. We are two weeks away from Christmas. Can you believe it? Today's topic is about joy. Um, as I thought about exploring this topic, my mind turned to the things in my mind that have given me joy. I thought about moments from my childhood, the feeling of freedom on the last day of school in the sixth grade when we all ran out after the bell, screaming and yelling, and into a summer of swimming and basketball underneath the Southern California sun. My first in and out that my mom brought back for dinner one night sometime in elementary school, so good. <laughs> I've been unusually fortunate in raffles and lucky draws, and the feeling you get when your raffle number is called for the prize that you had your eye on. Getting accepted to a school or a job and the feeling of achievement or accomplishment uh, when your work and efforts have paid off. Big milestones like my wedding or the birth of my, <laughs> Melissa's pointing to you over there, and the birth of our two kids. Coming to the present, when I come home from work, and our little white Bichon Rosie comes running at me, tail wagging, jumping up and down. I don't normally get that kind of reaction from my wife or kids, <laughs> but sometimes when I return home after a few weeks away on a business trip, uh, they can get a little more excited about uh, my coming home. And that moment of reunion, that's a wonderful feeling. And finally, the joy of a nation. When Sonong Min takes a clearance, drives it most of the pitch, makes a marvelous pass in traffic to the legs of the defender, and Huang Yichan kicks it past the Portuguese goalkeeper to give Korea the lead in extra time and eventually send them to the knockout stages. Thank you, Ghana and Uruguay. <laughs> Hopefully, all of us have had similar joyful moments. Those are the kind of moments that we live for, that drive us. And yet, most of life is not lived in the excitement of these kinds of experiences. How are we feeling today? Has this past week been joyful for you? 
Or would you use some other word to describe your week? Even as I was preparing for this message on joy and thinking about the topic, there were some days when I woke up and went to work and praising God, feeling great, but there were other days I felt down, not so close to God. And it seems that for many of us, life more frequently brings us long stretches of pain and sorrow. As Pastor Sangmin brought up last week and and during the intro today, 2022 has been a difficult year with war in Ukraine, tragedy in Itaewon just a month ago, investment losses. We're all still wearing masks because of COVID. For me personally, in 10 days, on December 21st, it's the fifth anniversary of my dad's passing. He was diagnosed with cancer in April 2017. I prayed countless prayers for his healing from cancer and spiritual salvation until he passed away in December. It was the most difficult eight months of my life. Just this week, my college friend described the messages uh, over uh, cacao about various parents of our college friends whose parents are dealing with all kinds of serious illnesses. As we get older, there is a tinge of sadness to every happy, precious moment because we become keenly aware that such moments will not last. I see how quickly my kids are growing up, and there are some moments that I just want to bottle up and be able to take out and relive, but I can't. The joy of eating a nice meal or buying something that we really wanted The feeling after a nice vacation, these all fade pretty quickly with time. In life and in our world, we get just enough echoes and glimpses of the joy for which we were created, of love and acceptance, of victory and celebration, goodness and peace that we ache and yearn for these eternally. The famous author and theologian C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Some people hear that in our world, but consider the suffering and pain and brokenness that they see all around, and they, and they declare there's no God, there's no creator, there's no point to any of the suffering. But just consider this, if there is no God and everything is meaningless, then there's actually no point in even making that argument. If there's no meaning in life, then even making that argument itself is meaningless. Why are you trying to convince me of something meaningless? And it's a meaningless task of trying to convince others of a meaningless argument. We Christians believe that there is a God and that God is good. But because of our rebellion against God, we and this world are broken. Yet in this broken world, we are actually commanded to have joy. How is that possible? It is possible because the Christian concept of joy is not a temporary feeling of happiness or dependent on our circumstances. Some pastors and Christian writers actually make a clear distinction between the terms happiness 
and joy. They make the point that happiness can be a temporary feeling while joy is not, or that happiness is dependent on circumstances, but joy is not. But then there are other writers who write that there's actually no be distinction between the two terms that are quite similar in meaning. And whatever the case, whether we distinguish between the two terms, happiness and joy or not, everyone agrees that the Christian concept of joy is not dependent on external circumstances. The Bible commands us to have joy no matter what, and even when we suffer. There are many verses in the Bible indicating this. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18 in the Old Testament. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And in the New Testament, James chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Looking at this together with the Habakkuk verse, we, often, we do not often think that we should be rejoicing when our crops are failing or our portfolio is down 30% or 70% or when we're facing trials. And yet still, another verse tells us, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Christian joy is possible and even commanded in the midst of earthly sorrow and suffering. Based on this, all of us can have joy right now. This is my personal, current, working definition of joy. Joy is a gift of God, already given, and the assurance that God loves me, that God has saved me, that he's bringing me home, and everything will be all right in the end. This is an immutable truth. Nothing that happens in life can change this. However, this is very difficult for us to keep in our hearts and live out for a number of reasons, and I'll share just a few. The first roadblock is what Jesus calls the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth in Matthew 13, 22. We lose sight of joy in the everyday worries and anxieties of life. We become anxious because things do not go the way we planned and we want to change and control our circumstances. We get anxious about challenges at work or school and worried about finances and health and relationships, and any or all of these can consume all of our thoughts throughout the day. We may even say prayers trying to get God to change whatever situation. And he may seem to answer, and some other times he doesn't, and our hearts may get bitter when he doesn't, and all of these anxieties can rob us of joy. Pastor Rick Warren talks about how anxious Jesus' mother, Mary, could have been on the day that the angel makes the great proclamation that Pastor Sangmin read in Luke 2. Imagine being a young teenage girl, pregnant before marriage, most of the town pointing their fingers at her and whispering behind their back, having to travel over 100 kilometers on foot or donkey while fully pregnant days before birth, a room not being available, 
and having to share space with animals and all their smells and giving birth to a baby in this environment far from home and the prospect of having to raise this baby that was supposed to be divine. Mary had a thousand and one reasons to be anxious. But through all this, Mary trusted God and accepted his plan. We see her response in Luke 138. I am the Lord's servant. Let everything you've said happen to me. There is a freedom in saying to God, God, I don't like my situation. I don't want to be here right now. But you are good, and you're allowing it. You must have a reason. You know better than I do. Please grant me the strength to endure it. To me, it was also powerful that this was Pastor Rick Warren encouraging the church to trust God and accept his plan because, as some of us may know, he is a parent who knows the pain of losing a precious child. Whatever we are facing, trust God and accept his plan, and there will be more room for joy than when our hearts are full of anxiety. Another roadblock to joy are blatant sins. So when we get anxious and things do not go the way we planned, that may tempt us to engage in sin, whether it be fraud, to get rich or famous, or backstabbing a colleague or lying to get ahead in our careers, or turning to temporary vices like alcohol, sex, or drugs to try to ease our pain. Such sins may be enjoyable for a while, but they always end in destruction and disappointment. And underneath them, our hearts have bought a lie that these things, apart from God, will make us happier than the joy of the Lord. In this vein, perhaps the biggest lie that we have swallowed is that God is not good. That was Satan's main lie to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Joy and Christmas and Christianity, they seem so related and obvious, but are they really? Do we believe that in our hearts? When we think about Christianity, is joy really one of the first words to come to mind? Even this week, one of my colleagues described church and Christianity as trying to be a good person. Around the world and here in Korea, many see the Christian faith as a set of rules and living as a good person. But I don't think many see it primarily as being filled with joy. Even for some of us, coming here to church on a Sunday near Christmas time, let's check that box, we've done something spiritual, and let's get on with the day. Do we expect joy when we come to worship? This is a misconception and a lie that even we Christians fall into regularly. We fall into believing that God is not good, that he's mainly trying to control us and restrict us and limit us rather than bring us joy. Friends, we need to fight this lie. God does not promise a long life or health or material blessings, but he does promise us joy. Jesus tells us in John 15, 11, 
These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The first miracle Jesus did was to turn water into some of the best wine that has ever been tasted and take a party to the next level. For any of us who have not yet trusted in Jesus, Christianity is not about living a good moral life, even though that's a product that comes at a point. It's mainly about recognizing that this world is broken. All of us are broken. We are sinners and fall way short of the glory of God, that even our best works and even our best lives are like filthy rags before this perfect God, but that a Savior has come to rescue us. He's come to conquer death and take us home. This Christianity is anything but boring. It's the best news in the entire world. It's the reason we meet here every Sunday, because this is where true joy is declared and found and shared. Going back to my working definition of joy, joy is a gift of God already given and the assurance that God loves me, that God has saved me, that he's bringing me home and everything will be all right in the end. We may conceptualize in our heads that this is true. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts often don't follow this truth about joy, and we struggle with anxiety and sin and believing lies that rob us of joy. This brings us to our final point, which is that we need to battle constantly for joy. We need to battle for our joy and keep coming back to Jesus. Paul declares in Philippians 4, 12, 13, 12 and 13, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I believe the secret that Paul talks about here was his singular focus on Jesus. We must remind ourselves constantly that Jesus is the only and true source of joy. And this battling for joy most often happens in mundane, ordinary, just regular decisions. Waking up, for me, and grabbing the Bible instead of my phone. Because for me, once I grab the phone, it's really tough for that Bible to come back into my hand before I have to leave for work. My sports scores, stock and crypto prices, news, emails, cacao messages. I mean, these are all good things. And they can even be tools uh, to sh- for us to share the gospel and experience God. But at least in my life, constant screen time is a major distraction and maybe even a tool of Satan to keep me from hearing from God, knowing him more, being renewed in my spirit, and being filled with joy. 
So a big part of our battling for joy is that we need to dedicate time to spend with him, set a consistent time to put away our phones on mute, read God's word, and talk to him. It's great that we're here today, continue to be consistent in coming to worship and worship together corporately in this body. There's something powerful about that for us to gather together and declare the name of Jesus. We need this centering and reminder regularly. I know going through a week, when I've missed a week of church, there's something where I I don't feel quite centered. Um, I don't know what that is. It's really hard to describe, but uh, there is something powerful about coming here and centering ourselves regularly. As we spend more time with God and grow in faith, we also learn. Sometimes slower than we should, but we learn about the true personality characteristics of sin versus godliness. What are the things that keep you from God? All of us struggle with different things. Whatever that is that you know keeps you from God, on the outside, on the surface, it looks shiny and enticing. But inside, there is poison and destruction. Perhaps not at first, but eventually. And as we go through life, we learn to recognize it. In contrast, coming to church, discipline of reading the Bible and prayer, and obeying God, even when it hurts, those kind of decisions can look quite boring or even painful but on the, on the outside. But on the inside, and especially over a long period of time, there we find life, hope, love, peace, joy. There is a deep beauty of character in godliness. Sin is like the person you meet. They look shiny on the outside. You know, they look so attractive. You get to know them, and they're backstabbing you at some point. Godliness is like the person you meet. Doesn't stick, you know, it doesn't attract your attention immediately, but you get to know them. They have a heart of gold, and they bring such joy to your lives. Sin, godliness. We will, fall, we will fail at times, or many times. And in those times, do not ever buy into the lie that you cannot come here to church because you've lived a bad, sinful week. That is also a voice that does not mean well for us. This is a hospital for sinners. This is where the needy find grace. Jesus loved the guy who sat at the back and beat his chest in shame. After this message, and as he sang once before, Pastor John is going to play that song again from Chris Tomlin, How Can I Keep From Singing? It reminds us that we can sing at all times, no matter what situation we may be in. There was a Francis Chan sermon on joy that I listened to as I prepared for this message, and he mentioned that he would, his church would sing this song after his message, and that made me listen to the song again. And actually, I ended up listening to it almost every morning on the way to work the last few weeks. It wasn't intentional. Actually, it's, it's sort of on my playlist, and somehow my car just starts it up, whatever was sort of last playing. Anyway, um, but it helped remind my heart of the truth of these words and actually lifted my spirit as well. And this was one way I tried to live out the content of this message to battle for joy. I get affected by the weather a lot. Uh, maybe growing up in California does that to you. 
And on one of these days, it was quite overcast and gloomy. But as, as I listened, God filled my heart with his joy, despite the stormy weather outside. How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the king, and it makes my heart want to sing. Every joy that we experience on earth points to a much greater joy found in God. When we are assured of this true, eternal joy that can never be taken away, we can enjoy our earthly joys with gratitude and expectation as glimpses of what is to come eternally rather than despair that the experience will not last forever. And in and out burger or your favorite meal, I can only imagine the feast that God talks about in Isaiah 25, 6, when he talks about a table of good food and wine, the freedom of the last day of school, what freedom we will have when Jesus takes us from this broken world and bodies and gives us our new heavenly bodies. Winning a raffle or lottery, nothing compared to the king and creator of the universe choosing wretched, messed up me to call his own adopted son. Are we nervous about our result? What Jesus is coming Victory over sin and death has already been won. That experience of reunion with my family and our little Rosie, the joyful feeling we get when we are glad to see another and they are glad to see you. Do we know that God is glad to see us? Do we know that we are his joy? I think our hearts have trouble believing this. The good news And what we celebrate today is that we were once in utter darkness in our sin, but on a dark night more than 2,000 years ago, when the stars lit up the sky that the wise men were following, the light of the world left his throne, broke through the barrier between heaven and earth to save us. The Savior came down, and he battled, and he fought, at the cost of his body and blood to win our joy. Today and this week, I pray that we can honor that costly victory and battle for the joy of walking with Jesus, our only source of true joy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for not leaving us in darkness and coming to save us. I pray that each of us can know in our hearts that you love us, that you see us with joy, that there is no shame or condemnation before you because of what Jesus has done. Would you help us in our battle for joy to live victorious, joyful lives in you and shine your light to this dark world that needs you desperately. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.